Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. If you're on a digital Bible, just type that in. If we're handing this Bible to you and you're not familiar, uh, there's a table of contents at the front with two big section headings, Old Testament and New Testament. Under New Testament, go maybe, I don't know, a dozen books down and you'll see one called Philippians and you'll get a page number there. Today we are beginning an eight-week series called Hope 2020. Um, as I was thinking and praying and as I bounced it off the elders, there was seemed to be agreement that there's not a lot of hope particularly if you, like me, if you watch too much television, it seems that the television is designed to make sure that you are worried about everything, and they don't even care what you're worried about as long as you're worried. Um, you can turn, turn to Fox News, and you'll be worried about one thing. You can turn to CNN, you'll be worried about the entirely opposite thing. They don't care. As long as you are stressed out, pulling your hair out. You know why? Because there's a product that is being sold in the Western world, it's the feeling of control. If I am in the know, I feel like I am less vulnerable than somebody who's not in the know. It's a total lie, and that's the lie that's being sold. Uh, so my not easy job, week after week, is to bring you the God News Channel. You guys heard GNC, right? God News Channel? All right. So where, where God... Um, without a lot of uh, apologizing, disagrees with people left and right like he's in charge of something. I know. He's brazen. I know. How offensive. Uh, we should find his statue and tear it down. Um, oh, come on, people. That was good. That was good material. So... I want to I want to promise you something. Even in the midst of taking uh, myself and the elders and finding eight separate issues that we believe are crushing hope, causing despair, causing anger, causing confusion in the middle of this very odd year. In the midst of this, where the Word of God is going to uh, press in on us that have joined one camp. It's the word of God's going to press in on us when we've joined another camp. My promise to you is one, your leadership loves you desperately. I want you to know that. And two, I'm going to do everything I can, even as the word of God presses in on us, disagrees with us, tells us to change our mind, tells us to change our heart. I'm going to do everything I can to communicate that in a loving way because in a world filled with anger and disagreement, the last thing we need is for the church to be a third voice. And when the church jumps in, they also sound angry. And I know how I am. I'm big. I'm loud. You guys half the time are pretty sure I'm grumpy about something. And so I'm going to absolutely do my very best to communicate that it is the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ that dissolves all of this craziness. And that sounds trite. It sounds like you could stick it on a coffee cup. But I want to unpack it very carefully and strategically and show you. And this is why it's going to take eight weeks to do it. Eight separate topics. Eight separate issues. To say, we all know what the word trite means. Like you said it and it's true, but it really doesn't help me in my moment. It's non-empathetic. 
it is can sound so trite to say Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Children of the 80s, anybody? No? Love Jesus 30 years ago? So, Jesus is the answer, and it's true. But if you stick it on a bumper sticker right now while I'm afraid for my health or while I'm afraid for my freedoms, I'm, I have some other fear. And if you tell me Jesus is the answer, it just sounds like you're not listening to me. Can we agree we have a problem right now with nobody feels listened to? How do you think God feels right now? So this group doesn't feel heard, and that group doesn't feel heard, and that group doesn't feel heard. And Jesus, looking over the edge of a cloud, um, hey, guys, <laughs> hello, check. <laughs> it must hurt his heart that his word does solve what ails us. And you and I are so busy listening to false narratives and false messages and getting all hot and bothered over secondary issues. It must hurt his heart. How terrible to put food in front of a starving people and they can't eat because they're busy yelling at each other. So I'm going to start off with something that I never do. I try very hard for all of my points to be from the scripture instead of from logic. And today, oh well, here goes. I'm going to give you the first point, and I don't necessarily think it's from the Bible, although I definitely think it is validated by it. So I'm not going to stand behind the pulpit. Greg's opinion's over here, hiding behind this post. <laughs> you ready for Greg's opinion? I think you're going to agree with it. But it's the pr I need you to understand the foundation from which I'm preaching. Here it is. You note takers, I put it in a nice, simple sentence so you can write it down and you can journey with me to decide whether you believe this is true or not. Here's the premise from which I am preaching the next, really, the eight weeks, but specifically today. Confusion without humility can only lead to division. Confusion. I don't know who to trust. Do I listen to this news source? Do I listen to that news source? This person says they're a doctor and they know. Well, that other side has a doctor too. Both sides have all these letters behind their names and they disagree. Confusion without humility on my part can only lead to division. That's my premise. Okay? Here's how it is playing itself out practically in our world right now. Should I wear a mask or not? Right? Everybody's got their experts. Was that action racially motivated or was it not? Everyone's got their experts. Everybody's got their eyewitness. Should I vaccinate my child or not? Is it sugar that's killing me or is it the fat? Come on. You guys saw that, that, that the war on fat started in the late 70s, so you guys know this, some of you know this better than I do, right? You watch, the, you know, Dr. Oz or whatever, and on Tuesday they're telling you carrots are the best thing ever by Friday, another expert. Carrots are killing you. I guess I'll have to keep watching or I won't know what carrots are doing to me. Was the use of lethal force justified in that situation or was it not? Should I have my kids in public school or private school or homeschool? 
And then my homeschool parents said, coronavirus, haha, joke's on you. <laughs> but in, in normal circumstances, that's a choice. Anybody been in an unfortunate conversation? Anybody been badgered or somebody looked down on you because you made the wrong decision, right? You were in public school, they looked down on public school. You homeschooled your kids, they look at you like you're, you know, Mormon or something, right? No matter what decision you make, you put your kid in Christian school and they're like, well, all right, I guess you're okay. You know, <laughs> we judge each other over some silly stuff sometimes, but everyone's got their opinion. Everyone's got their definitive source of information about this is the best. And then the most important of all, Ford or Chevy. Everyone's got their expert. Everyone's got their opinion. My premise right here, right now, this sermon may or may not be worth a darn online years from now, but for right here in 2020, my premise is that in a world where there are countless information sources, you and I, our brain can't take it all in and we are forced to make a choice. Which information source will I trust? Which information sources will I not trust? And it is critical. I'm still on the premise thing. haven't gotten to the Bible yet. It is critical for the sake of me being humble, choosing humility. It is critical that I take a deep breath, think about it, and admit to myself that I, Greg Kaiser, have made purposeful decisions about which groups of information, which sources of information. I have made choices about who is trustworthy and who is not. It didn't, we all act as if someone talks and it's just naturally obvious who's telling the truth and who's lying. Well, everybody knows what's actually going on is I made a decision whether I realized it or not and it was filtered through my worldview. Okay? I used to tell teenagers when I was in youth ministry, if Adolf Hitler walks outside and says, what a lovely day, the sky is blue, that's not a false statement just because he's a jerk. Does that make sense? Say yes. Truth stands on its own. It flows from the mouth of God. It doesn't matter if a broken or evil person happens to reiterate it. But I hear that Adolf Hitler said something, and what do my biases do? Right? No, that's pink for sure. I can irrationally respond because I am filtering it through my belief of who the person is. So since we have all made decisions over who to trust and not to trust, and I, and I want to spend these eight weeks, for those of you who love Jesus, I want to point your eyes toward the mission of God has for us in our city. So let me say it this way. People around you who do not yet know and love Jesus are caught in the same craziness that you and I are caught in. They are making decisions every day over who to trust and who not to trust. And I guess this is what I'm trying to get at. The person that you disagree with so ardently is in the same boat as you. There is no one in your world who doesn't wish there was just one pure and authoritative piece of information, but literally Jesus Christ would have to show up and tell us what's true, and even then there'd be a war. Book of Revelation says so. He shows up and there's a war. So if even Jesus shows up who we know is not going to lie to us, even then we wouldn't accept it, not fully people that you are called to bring the gospel to, people that I am called to bring the gospel to, they are lost in a war where truth has been weaponized to get power. And in case you think that was a political statement, let me be unequivocally clear. 
Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But we also say, proverbially, actions speak louder than words. I, I don't know, because we don't know people's hearts. There's not really a reason to take any party, any politician, and say, you know what, you're so incredibly awesome. You would never weaponize truth, would you? Like, every one of us has left out convenient details. Every one of us, from when we were three years old, has either proactively lied or passively left out details that weren't convenient toward the narrative of what was helpful for us. And we are in a context right now, it's called planet Earth, but it, particularly in America, we're seeing more and more Something comes out, and whether it's true or not is irrelevant. It only asks myself one question. Can I turn it into a hammer and use it to bludgeon my opponent? Brothers and sisters, we have a truth that sets men and women and children free. It doesn't bludgeon anyone. It, blood it bludgeons Satan, sin, condemnation. It bludgeons death. But it is not a weapon to attack people and to win an argument. That's not what the gospel is. I could have a Mormon missionary come to my house and I logically go through the points of here's what the gospel is. Checkmate, I win. And is his heart transformed to the, so that he loves God now? I needed stronger no's from you guys. No, winning an argument does not transform the heart. It does not transform the heart. Our message as Christians is fundamentally different than are there Russian bots affecting the election, voter fraud, all of this division. Um, the scriptures say that the church is not to, that soldiers don't get overly involved in civilian affairs. Did you know the Bible says that? I don't want election interference either. But as a missionary, something that I need to pay deep attention to is that we are preparing ourselves as a country right now to be even more enraged and infuriated this November than we were four years ago. We are preparing. Both sides already have narratives about how they're going to get, be wronged. Both sides are already telling themselves stories of how the other side was evil. If they won, they were evil for sure. So as missionaries, I'm begging you to think through and to pray through it doesn't matter what my next-door neighbor's politics are. How is she hurting right now? It doesn't matter what my next-door, my, the person in the cubicle, maybe a digital cubicle now, next to me, his politics are. What is it that's making him enraged right now? Because a lot of the rage right now actually has to do with feelings of justice and injustice. And little apologetics moment here, I'd like to point out, there is actually no root for a definition of justice inside atheism. If there is no God, who are you to say what's just and unjust? It is Christianity with a God who made us, who has declared what reality is, what humans are and are not. Like, I'm going to get to this in a few weeks with Black Lives Matter. The biggest tragedy of Black Lives Matter is that Christians didn't come up with it. Well, they're Marxists. They wouldn't be Marxists if they were Christian. Marxism treats human beings as if they are evolved primordial sludge. And Christians can't agree with that. But what on earth does an atheist, what does an atheist do decrying racism? Primordial sludge versus primordial sludge. The strong kill the weak. Who cares? 
Well, that's not how I feel. Well, then you're a bad atheist, right? Christians should have always been at the forefront of everything related to justice because our God pours out pages and pages and pages of what right treatment of God and man looks like. We should have always been at the forefront. And it's true as it relates to all barriers that we face right now as a, I'm just talking about a local church right now, Citrus Heights, the people that we aim to serve, that we aim to bring the gospel to, they are a distracted people right now. They are distracted by anger, rage, distrust, fear. Am I going to get sick? Is my mom going to get sick? Where are my kids supposed to go this fall? Or do I have a job if the kids don't come this fall, right? Brothers and sisters, we have to bring the love of Jesus Christ to that people. And we will not do it as long as we are in that chaos ourselves. So this eight weeks, is this going down as a record as the longest intro at ARCF ever? As a people, so what is the, back when we were allowed to fly, um, what does the, the person at the front of the airline always tell you? In case of a loss of air pressure, masks are going to drop from the ceiling and do what? If there's a miner sitting next to you, what do you do on an airplane when that happens? Okay, the next eight weeks, we, ARCF, we are going to give ourselves some oxygen because our city desperately needs us. I cannot gently shepherd you in a conversation past what you think is a political fight when I'm going to use the justice link to get to a cross in this conversation. I can't get there if I'm still emotionally triggered by the fact that you're a Democrat. Ah! I have to be calm. I have to be focused on heavenly things that are more real, that feel less tangible, but they are more real and they have eternal consequence. For the next eight weeks, we're going to give ourselves oxygen. Because our world needs us now, and our world is going to need us more in November. Because you and I both know half this country is going to be infuriated no matter what happens. We know in advance. It's not a theory. Half this country is going to be infuriated. That is where we're at as a culture. Okay? And our call to love doesn't have an asterisk next to it. Oh, they're angry. Don't love angry people. Let's take a vote. Who thinks an angry person needs more love, not less? Right? Okay? So our calling is actually just kind of ratcheted up a notch. My anger is communicating in crazy ways how much I need the love and grace of God right now and of people. All right. So, after that insanely long intro, and you know where we're going for the next eight weeks. Note takers, first point. No, oh, no, I'll read the scripture first. Philippians 1.27. He's preaching one verse? Okay. Pastor Paul, first century pastor, church planter, talking to Christians. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, 
I will know that you are standing together with one purpose, sorry, one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Amen. Holy Spirit, all of the passages that tell us to be kind and loving toward one another, they're so clear, they're in plain English, and yet, God, our hearts need help. God, there are so many ways in which we need our own needs are to be met first before we're really capable of extravagant and sacrificial love and grace. And uh, we just start off, God, today by thanking you for your word, confessing our own brokenness. And really, God, we thank you that not one thing in the last six months has surprised you. And we thank you that not a single thing in the last six months has surprised you or caught you off guard. Um, we ask you, God, for a reminder of who we are and what we are to be about, our Father's business. Um, God, only your wisdom and your word can take us through this. So please speak to us today through our brother Paul. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Did you see the first part of that verse? Above all, you must live as citizens of California. What? Why'd you. My guys are hurting my feelings. Why were you chuckling? Isn't that what it says? Above all, you must live as citizens of Idaho because they let me own more guns, and so I moved there. Is that what it says? Above all, you must live as citizens of Kenya, Costa Rica, Italy. No? Okay. The reason I keep it, taking important words of the Bible and replacing them with fake news, the reason I keep doing that is so that we will press in on things, perhaps, false beliefs that we have. Above all, above. Is above pretty clear? Is that pretty exclusive? Above all, not tied for third, not runner-up, none of that. You, Christians, must live as citizens of where, folks? Talk to me. Heaven. Wait, I thought heaven was just a, a place for people who are good. Like a giant Chuck E. Cheese in the sky with unlimited tokens. Yeah, all the adults are like, no, that's hell. What are you talking about? <laughs> if you were six, that would be your image of heaven. <laughs> but that verse makes it sound like heaven is a country. It sounds like it's a nation. It's a people. It doesn't sound like it's just a place if there's, you know, citizenship. Do places have citizenship? That's an important question. Huh? Depends. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's nations that have joined together through brute military force, will, their own will, have a vote, don't have a vote, whatever, 
having a sovereign, whether the sovereign is a person or a constitution and then a democracy within it, some kind of structure where we say we are a people as a political entity here on earth. Huh. Let me ask you a question. People who love gardening, are they a nation? But they have similar interests and similar activities. Oh, you're, go you're sovereign over your own garden. That's actually a good point because no one else has a say in your garden. Yeah. So, yeah. So, how would you create nationality? How would there be sovereignty, shared sovereignty? So, no gardeners aren't a nation. What about people who really are into motorcycles? Are they a nation? What about the Raider Nation? Mm, yeah, stepping on toes this week. Not a nation. Why? There's no sovereign. You can leave at any time. Think about it. You can literally pull off your jersey, put a jersey on for another team, another sport, no jersey at all, and boom, you've left the Raider Nation. Jesus is either your king or he's not. He's my king or he's not. And the scripture would say that there's a transformed heart that work by the Holy Spirit, out of which flow love and good works, that are indicative of whether I'm a part of this people, this nation, with a king. Kingdoms have kings. That's the only way to have citizenship, is to be a nation. And Paul just told me a good Roman citizen, Philippi, Roman military city, this is basically San Diego right outside Camp Pendleton. When, when you think of F Philippi, I want you to think of San Diego, okay? Half the church are veterans. Oh, he went there, didn't he? He just told a bunch of soldiers. So more Roman history that you never asked for. What fundamentally, the beginning of the end for the Roman Republic, where they used to get to vote for senators and then transitioned into having emperors, the very beginning of the end was when Julius Caesar was just a general. He wasn't the head of the country or anything like that. He was just a general. You know, a really subtle thing he did. When a soldier was sworn in, his oath to swear in, he did not swear in to allegiance to Rome. He had him swear allegiance to him as a person. And so after victory, after victory, after victory, Roman culture valued victory and strength above about all else. Ten years in, defying the Roman Senate, doing this, that, and the other, there are thousands and thousands of battle-hardened veterans that have all sworn allegiance to Caesar, not to Rome. What could possibly go wrong? Okay? Every one of the soldiers, some of whom are listening here for the Church of Philippi, they've been saved by Jesus Christ, and their pastor who's away, Paul, is writing, writing in this letter. They have sworn an oath out loud with their mouth to the current Caesar, because the republic is dead. They have said out loud in order to be a soldier, these are military families, and every one of them knows, I just became a Christian, I have a new king, I have a new sovereign, but I already swore an oath directly to Caesar. What do I do with that? 
I wonder if veterans here in the U.S. don't feel that exact same. Because here in the U.S., we don't say, hey, you're a part of the Army now. You have to call the president a deity and swear total allegiance to him forever, and he's never leaving office. He's God. We don't have that here, so it's probably not the same struggle. Our brothers and sisters receiving this letter had to deal with that. And he says, above all, you must conduct yourselves as citizens of heaven. Here's your first point for your note takers. Number one, two words. Be nice. I know, you're shocked. I came to church today and they told me to be nice. Yeah, be nice. Citizens of heaven in the midst of chaos, what should we look like? What should we sound like? I mean, worthy of the good news. I will know that you're standing together with one spirit, with one purpose. Later on in the middle of this discourse, at the start of chapter two, he's going to say, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort in his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. What? Did you hear that? That might as well be 2020 blasphemy. Did you say agreeing wholeheartedly with one another? Again, back to texts that don't require a lot of explanation. Agree wholeheartedly with one another. Being what? Uh, I lost my Loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Whoa, talk about a countercultural command from Paul to us, from God to us. When everything's fine, when everyone's happy, when the culture is quiet and calm and everything's peachy, this may not sound so crazy. Be kind, gentle, tender-hearted. Bear one another's burdens. Okay. Okay, so those of you who are raising children, have raised children, help with your nieces and nephews, grandkids. When you get down on eye level to your child, grandchild, niece, nephew, and say, honey, we need to be sweet to one another. What just happened right before that? Yeah. Somebody punched somebody. Something, uh, a, a lack of love, a lack of mercy, a lack of tenderheartedness occurred, and so we need to re-bring the truth to the situation, right? That's what's happening right now. As we open Philippians, that's what's happening right now. Above all, are you sure? I don't know. Second point of today's amazing sermon that I know you guys are super excited about. Be nice. Wait, that's the same point as the first one. Yeah, We're going to stay on this for a little while until we figure it out. Your second point is be nice. Look at verse 27 again. Standing together with one spirit and with one purpose... I wonder what that is, because if my purpose is to win an intellectual argument, then you have to agree with me on what our purpose is, right? But if Jesus is king, he gets to decide what our purpose is, right? Oh, man. And the degree to which he avoided Roman politics is conspicuous when you read the Gospels. Fighting together for the faith, which is 
the good news. Oh, no. Paul told us exactly what that one purpose is. Dang it. I thought it was going to be open for interpretation. Sharing gently and kindly the good news. Well, he didn't put it that way. He said fighting. Again, he's talking to soldiers. Fighting for the faith, which is the good news. The good news that God took on flesh, went to a cross that you and I deserved, and allowed himself to be slaughtered. Why? Because the righteous demands of an angry God had to be met. He took his holiness, he stamped it onto everyone who would believe in him, and he took our guilt, he took it onto himself and nailed it to the cross. That message... That message, how can they believe unless they've heard, right? How can they hear unless someone proclaims? How can they proclaim unless they are sent, right? That message is Christian's business. That is our one purpose. And we are to be unified in that. No one's looking at me like I'm crazy yet, so I'm, I'm hoping, I'm guessing... This means you all know this already. The, anybody here taught a Sunday school lesson where everything in the lesson, you're like, I know this already, but uh, here we go. Okay. The reason the entire book of Deuteronomy exists, even though it's all a repetition, is because you and I need to be told more than once. And sometimes when the context changes, I hear the exact same command from God and it lands a little different on my heart. Love your enemies. Oh yeah, I can do that. And then you get punched by somebody. And then I repeat, love your enemies. Oh, not him though, right? <laughs> See, now love your enemies costs you something now that you feel animosity. Now it costs you something. Here's my concern, and I said something similar to this earlier, but I'm going to say it more um, explicitly. If you've read um, C.S. Lewis' um, screw tape letters, you are three steps ahead of the rest of us on this one. If a group of soldiers are told... Let's just use World War II as an example. We're Americans. We have a rough idea. Um, what would have happened, and this is crazy conspiracy theory, but what would have happened if Japan attacks Pearl Harbor and America is confused about who attacked them and accidentally declares war on Brazil? And to a man and a woman, everyone in America, the leaders, the followers, everybody, we hate Brazil. They're terrible. It's so awful what they do. And we mobilize. We do what we did with Detroit. You don't need to make another car. You're making tanks now. And what are we doing? We're going to Brazil on holiday. It's going to be lovely. We're going to own Brazil by the time, you know, we, we get around to Carnival. And we're going to party to celebrate our victory. We're going to take them out. How much wrongdoing is about to occur? The wrongdoing is incalculable. Because not only did you go and kill people who didn't do anything to you, when your son went and died in the fight, he died for no reason. So it's a two-way street. 
Everything that happens from here on out is bad, wrong, misguided, evil, unjust, because we found we were convinced of the wrong enemy. I, I want you, ARCF, to know Satan would love to convince you that your enemy is sitting next to you right now. He does it to marriages. He does it to father-son relationships. He convinces you that your boss is the enemy. He convinces you co your co-worker is the enemy, your neighbor is the enemy, the person who thinks different than you do is the enemy. Satan would love to convince you that people who wear masks are the enemy, that people who don't wear masks are the enemy. He, he doesn't even care what you pick as long as you're not focused on him. As long as you're not focused on the spiritual condition of those that are still enemies of God. As long as my eyes are pointed to the wrong enemy, it doesn't matter how good my rifle is, does it? Third point for note takers. Be nice. Thank you. You're with me. You're catching on. Jesus told a story critical, central to a Christian's existence, identity. He said that a man who was in unbelievable debt is called in front of the king to give an account and he throws himself at the feet of the king asking for mercy and say, please be patient with me and I will repay it. It was a ludicrous request because the amount was so big, there's no way he'd ever be able to repay it. The king has mercy on him. And he doesn't just give him some more time. He doesn't say, hey, keep working on it, do your best, it'll be all right. He forgives the debt. Anybody here ever walked into a, a, a branch of a bank and said, hey, I'm struggling with my car payment? Yeah, Denny knows where I'm going. And the lady behind the desk says, you know what? You are clearly having a rough day. You owe $20,000 still on your car. Puts it in the shredder. Presses delete. Would that feel good? Is that a cool day? Is that a day where your emotions take over and you spend $500 on the way home because you were just given 20? Before I tell my spouse, I have this I want to get, I have that. Yeah, getting a little honest up in here. I want to get this, I want to get that. Brothers and sisters, your car payment isn't enough to destroy your life, though. This man, by rights, should be slave to the king. Not going to feel like citizenship anymore. And the king says, the debt's forgiven. Now, what's that tell you about the king? Merciful. Mercy, grace, love. He has all the rights, and he uses his rights to bless people in front of him who have empty hands. That's the type of king we serve. If only the story ended there. 
the same guy goes outside and his brother, who owes him a relatively small amount, says, please be patient with me and I'll repay it. But he responds with anger and throws him into debtor's prison because he owes him this small amount of money. And Jesus asks the crowd who's listening to the story, what do you think is going to happen to that first guy, the one who was shown so much mercy? What do you think is going to happen to him when the king hears about this? Yeah, wrath. You, brothers and sisters, me, we can not fully honor, accept, cherish, understand a grace of God if we think it only blesses us, but then it does not pour out of our life toward brothers and sisters. That's what Jesus is trying to say. You think you received grace? No. When you are gracious toward others, that's when I'll know you've received grace. If you think you've received grace, but you cannot be kind, loving, merciful, gracious to anyone else, all you've received is what some theologians call cheap grace, cheap forgiveness. Oh, God's not mad at me? Awesome. I'm going to go keep on sinning. Jesus says, my children are transformed. The transformation that I'm looking for is the way that they are loving, kind, forgiving, gracious to other people. That's how I'm going to know that's how the world is going to know that they are my children, that they are citizens of heaven. Brothers and sisters, there is no way to define the Christian life apart from grace. If you took grace out of the equation, and you, but you had all the other letters of a Scrabble bag, if you had every other word in Webster's Dictionary, but no grace, you couldn't do it. A Christian has to receive a breathtaking amount of grace from God and then has to pour it out horizontally in our relationships. So later on, when in this series, when we talk about masks and no masks, what do we need? What do we actually need? I need to receive an unbelievable amount of grace and then allow that to overflow out of my life. I think it was Pastor Dennis. Somebody talked in the last few months about a cup that overflows. Um, the sister who came here a year and a half ago to, to do a Seder meal for us, talked a little bit about that as well, that when the wine is poured into the cup, it's overflowing, they keep pouring it so that it overflows into the dish, and that's part of the Jewish symbol of generosity. I think Dave Ramsey talked about it as well. If your own cup is not overflowing with grace, if you really understand how much grace you've been given, it's going to overflow. So when we talk about people forming up sides of all cops are bad or no, cops are the good guys. You know, these well, the extreme would be all cops are bad and all cops are always good and there's no room for gray area. Those would be the extremes. And, and what, what does God command of the church in the middle of those extremes? Receive an unbelievable amount of grace so that you can now horizontally be gracious to people with maybe you agree with that opinion or maybe that uh, opinion makes your blood boil. They, they need the love and grace of God. Or... I'm afraid of getting sick. I'm not afraid of getting sick. Why is God allowing this? Why is there why is there disease in the world at all? Let's just add, let's ask the question broadly. We're talking a lot about coronavirus. What about cancer? Why does God allow this in the world? When I am asking questions of the very nature of God and the very justice of God, you know what I really really need? I need a Christian to step into my world who's taken a deep breath, who's calm, 
and who has deeply embraced the grace of God for themselves and that Christian to come in, I need them to be gracious to me in the middle of my confusion, in the middle of my doubt, in the middle of my fear. I don't need a Christian that's going to come at me and try to win an argument about why I shouldn't be afraid. That's not going to transform my heart. It's just not going to work. That's not how human beings work. So that is my super long encouragement to all of us to find a way to be gracious with one another. Maybe, just maybe, we'll even be nice online. What? I thought the rules were different on Facebook. I was looking for a verse that said that, but I never found it. Anyway. Does Pastor Greg always throw shade before he closes in prayer? Yes. Okay. I'm going to lead us in prayer right now. I'm not going to pray. I'm going to lead us in prayer. If you are, as Church of God calls a blood-washed believer, you love Jesus Christ with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm going to invite you to pray right now. And in the name of humility, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray for yourself. And I'm going to get up here and it's going to sound weird because I'm only going to pray for myself to lead by example. The nature of pride is that it is self-blinding. So sitting here and saying, you guys should be kind and gracious to others, that's real convenient now, isn't it? Super convenient because I'm accusing you of being rude, mean, unempathetic, but I'm not dealing with my own junk. But if you want to help a brother with a speck in his or her eye, get the log out of your own. I'm going to pray for myself to be loving and gracious, and I want you guys, where you're sitting, to pray for yourselves. All right? It's a little new, but we're going to give it a shot. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Please fill me with your spirit, Lord, that my behavior would be more like your son and less like the world. Lord Jesus, I need your strength to behave as a citizen of heaven, um, to not chase with all of my energy after these secondary issues and these secondary distractions, Lord. Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me. If I'm going to be gracious with my words, particularly when I can hide behind a screen, God, I've, I, I have posted stuff. And looking back, I know I should not have posted. Because um, I was trying to win an argument instead of winning a brother. And I ask for your forgiveness for my arrogance, my short-sightedness, my lack of love, my lack of empathy toward other people's experiences. God, I thank you so much that your word keeps imploring me to get my eyes up out of the stormy water and onto the face of Christ. Thank you for its power, God, that it's sharp as a scalpel, doing good things inside me. God, make me submissive to what your word does in me. Help me to hunger for your word day in and day out. That I would be a fundamentally different person as I interact with the citizens of Citrus Heights. And the citizens of Facebook, for that matter. 
God, make me different by your blood, by your grace. Make my mind and heart and actions and words to overflow with mercy. Please allow me to always, always, always get my identity, God, from your word and from no other source. God, make me a loving and compassionate member of ARCF where my love for the saints uh, would be an example to the world. Help me to not ever be too proud to receive love and grace from them. Lord Jesus, please prepare me to be a missionary to Citrus Heights. To be a citizen of a greater kingdom and as your word also says, an ambassador of that kingdom. Jesus, please sanctify my mind that I would start with grace, not with prejudice over what I think somebody's going to say or what I think someone's doing. God, please make my heart gracious toward politicians that I disagree with. God, please help me to stop judging others. And God, I confess that I oftentimes, I, even now, I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know exactly all of what you want from me as I'm salt and light, but I do ask you to take me there. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, God, for the perspective that you give me when you tell parables like the guy who couldn't be gracious with his brother. Thank you, God, that I got to sing today with my brothers and sisters. Thank you, God, that I got to see him face to face. Thank you, God, that my kids today heard the gospel. Thank you that they heard it from people who love you desperately and who love my kids. God, thank you that because of the internet, uh, a bunch of my other brothers and sisters also got to hear the gospel today. Make me grateful, Lord. In the midst of a culture of chaos where I want to not be grateful for anything but demand more, like the universe owes me something. Oh, God, give me a gracious, unentitled heart. We ask for transformation and nothing less, and we ask for it in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's people said, Amen. I love you guys. Go be nice. <laughs>